0: Welcome back to another episode of Gift from Adversity. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, we are recording episode 101. I'm very excited that we surpassed 100 episodes and we are having more guests. Before I introduce tonight's guest, I want to introduce my book, which is the same title as this podcast. It's called A Gift from Adversity. The subtitle of my book is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying and Homelessness. If you go to Amazon and type a Gift from Adversity by Jury J U R I Love, you can easily find it. After I published my book in 2020, I got a lot of messages from all over the world and people are sharing their situations and stories and last year I felt very compelled to create a space where people can share their adversities, but not only that, to share their tools that they use to overcome and a gift that came from it. So I'm very grateful to have many guests from all over the world. So let's invite our guest tonight. So Alicia, um, can you introduce um, your name, uh, where you're coming in from today? And what you do, and if you have any social media or anything that you want to promote.
1: Sure. My name is Alicia Jennings. Um, I am coming from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And currently, I work as a manager with H&R Block. So our season is almost over. Yay, tax season almost done. Make sure you get your taxes done. <laughs> um, I do have social media. Pretty much all of my social medias are Alicia Star, which is my middle name, S-T-A-R-R. It has two R's. So everything that is my social media is my first name, Alicia, my middle name, Star.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming into Gift adversity podcast, episode 101.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Great. So we met on Clubhouse. Yes, we did. We did. We, we, we met in the um, mental health room that they were having.
0: So my 100th episode, Milton Young, I met him through Clubhouse as well. Oh, wow. Long time ago, yeah. but we became really good oh. friends. Yeah, so it's wonderful. Sometimes uh, Clubhouse is a good, great platform to network.
1: Yes, it is. I've, I've met a lot of great people, including yourself, on Clubhouse. And um, it, it started out not so great. I didn't know kind of what rooms to go into. So I was kind of getting some of the really crazy rooms. But then it was like I kind of researched a little bit more. And then I I started meeting the people that were, you know, more genuine and nice and kind. So, So Alicia, let's dive into the first question, which is the adversity.
0: So, can you tell our audience, what was your adversity?
1: So, I feel like there's more than one. (laughs) I have a lot. Um, I'm a single mom of three. Um, My first adversity initially was when I had my first daughter, who is now 17. Um, Then she was nine months old. My boyfriend and I, we decided to move in together to an apartment. And um, previously to us moving in, I mean, he had, you know, done little things of domestic violence here and there. Um, But I... I feel like at that time, um, I had that mindset of, you know, just a domestic violence victim where you just always think that it's just going to stop that last time and it's not going to keep going and going and going. But unfortunately, um... I got myself a full-time job and he worked part-time at a restaurant, just like right up the street. So after I got off work and I picked up our daughter from daycare, um, I could pick him up from work and then we could go straight home. So one night we got into an argument. He um, thought that I had, he thought that I had done something. I don't remember what he thought that I did, but we got into an argument and I remember he he spit on me and then he, and then he punched me. So I instantly called the police. And so when they got there, he was already gone. He had ran. So my mom, she took me and she took me to um, like the courts downtown. We have courts downtown. And if it's after hours, you can go to the courts and you can get an emergency PFA, which is protection from abuse. So we went down there, it was nighttime, we got that. And um, he ended up coming back that night. And my mom stayed with me and luckily she stayed with me because I told him like, you're not allowed to be here, here's your paper, you know, cause he had to be served. They're not, the thing about the PFA is that they're not good unless they're served. So if he didn't have that paper, he was still allowed to be there. And I was scared because I would have been by myself with my baby. So my mom was there and I said, you need to go get your things and you need to leave the key on the dresser. Of course, being young and naive, I just assumed he got his things and left the key on the dresser, which was not the case. So the next day I had a procedure to get done. So I had to be up really, really early. And I remember I got up and I like after a little bit, I was just like kind of waking up and you know how you're groggy in the morning. So you're you're just kind of like coming out of that sleep. And I heard a knock on the door and I'm thinking to myself, like who would be knocking at my door? You know, we've only lived here maybe like a month or two. I don't know who would even know that I'm here. So I went to the door and of course it was him. So he came in. And I said, I don't know what you're doing here. Like, you're not allowed to be here. Um, You know, our daughter's waking up. And so if you just want to go get her, you can go get her and, you know, give her her bottle for breakfast. Well, that's when he just flipped. It was like that little sentence triggered him. And he just screamed. And he was just like, I know the And I won't use the swear word, but I know the effing dad routine. And it just snowballed from there. And it was just eight hours of constant, just verbal and physical abuse. And it was, it was terrible. He did let me get in the shower. Um, Initially, he didn't let me put clothes on. He told me that I needed to stay undressed and be disgusting how I was. And um, eventually he let me put some clothes on. I just had on just like a regular t-shirt and some like little sweatpants. And I remember my daughter had on a onesie. And I remember he started like cutting his arm, which is really weird. Um, He started cutting his arm. So there was kind of like a little bit of blood on like my walls. And I remember saying like, stop that. Like, why are you doing that? Why are you hurting yourself? And he's like, you're the only person who ever made me do this. And so eventually when he had stopped cutting his arm, I went to pick up the knife and he's like, good. He's like, now your fingerprints are on it. So when the police come, I can say that it was self-defense and that you were trying to stab me with that knife. And I'm like- in my head, I just kept thinking, oh my gosh, like this was planned. Like he planned this, like the things he kept saying. So he finally, he kept us inside of my bedroom, which was like down the hall and to the right. And he kept us in there pretty much for everything. Like the whole entire day, he took my cell phone. I didn't know where anything was. Um, Eventually my daughter stopped crying. Eventually he started like Calming down because he had like thrown a hammer at me. It hit me right here. Luckily, he didn't throw it super hard. So it just kind of, you know, hit me and then it fell. Um, and she was crying because he kept trying to argue with me, but put her back in the crib. And so finally I just said, Stop putting her in there. She's scared, she's crying, she's nine months old. So we go in the room, and finally, from whatever he was on, he started to mellow down. And eventually it was time for her to eat again. And I said, why are you doing this? Like, I just don't understand why are you doing this? And he said, the devil told him to do it to me. Um, and so once he finally like really was just kind of like out, uh, you know, when you just kind of like pass out from being drunk or whatever he was on, he passed out and I remember asking him, can I go make a bottle? And he said, yeah and he wasn't paying attention and as i was going into the kitchen i seen the cell phone sticking out a little bit from under the bed and i was like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh and in my head there's like 20 million things going on in your head like how do you get the cell phone without him seeing or you know i need to get that cell phone so i'm in the kitchen and i'm i'm like ruffling with everything and i just thought to myself okay just pretend to trip and fall and get the phone. So I did, and um, I gave her the bottle. She was at an age to where she could, you know, feed herself, and she was feeding herself. And slowly, I was hitting the volume button so that I could turn the volume up a bit because back then, you know, the the flip phones you could hear every time you hit that button, like for the number dialing. And so I didn't want him to hear that. So I was trying to hide it and like put it under a pillow or something. And I called my sister and I remember I had to tell her, I was like, please. I was like, he has me hostage. I need you to call 911 and I need you to get the police here. And she's like, what, what's going on? Like, what do you mean? And I'm like, please, I'm like, just send them to this address. And I just need you to do this for me. She's like, okay, okay. So she called 911, and I guess she called my mom. My mom's friend left with her from work, and they rushed over there. And finally, I just said, okay, she's done eating. I called his name a few times. He didn't answer. And that's when I was like, it's go time. Like, this is it. We either stay, and I don't know what's going to happen, or I get her, and we run, and that's it. So I got her and I like walked slowly to the living room. I got my keys. I had my cell phone and I had her and that was it. I opened the door and I just like ran down the steps. Like, I don't know how I didn't fall down the steps with my baby. I don't know. And I, I remember I unlocked the car door because I was in front of the building. So I had to go down the steps and around. There was like rocks everywhere. I had no shoes on. She didn't have shoes on. I got to my car, I opened the door and I set her down. And I remember as I set her down, the police and all the ambulance were coming this way. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I like actually made it out of there after eight hours. And they got there and they were like, where's he at, where's he at? I said, he's still up in there, he's still up in there. And so they were holding my head like this for a long time um, because at one point when we were, Um, arguing we had went into the kitchen because I had taken the knife in the kitchen to put it in the sink because it was on the floor and I didn't want the baby to get it. So he had taken my head like this, but he was facing me and he was pushing my head back like this and like banging my head off of the stove. So they didn't want me to move my neck because they didn't know if I had like, you know, a head injury or anything like that. But I remember the biggest thing that day was whenever I was in the hospital and I was like laying there with that just like neck brace on, my dad came in. And I remember I saw my dad's face and I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, I can't make this decision anymore. Can't do it. And so my family saw me and I remember that day I was like, I will never go through this again. I'll never, you know, put myself in a situation to be held like that and just stuck to where, like, you're so scared, you don't know what's going to happen. So that was number one. (laughs) Number two, um, I had broken up with my fiancé. I was with four or five years, which... um. I broke up with him because he was in and out of jail and prison. And I did it for five years. It was a lot of just mental, just too much for me. So I had started dating and I remember I used like a online dating site or something. And I remember I seen a guy on there, but then I seen him um, on Facebook and I remember I saw that we had like mutual friends in common and so I like reached out and was like hey I think you're handsome or whatever and it was just like very rare because I'm I'm the type of person like I reach out to you that means like I'm not shy (laughs) by any means I am not a shy person so we talked for a little bit but then things didn't really happen and then like a few months later he reached out again and was like can I take you out on a date and I was like, sure You know, you don't think anything. So I can remember I lived with my parents at the time. And I remember I had gotten myself all done up and I had my hair done, my makeup. And I remember my dad said to me, which my dad is a pastor. My dad said to me, "Um, what are you going on a date for? You don't need to go on a date. And he just said to me, something doesn't feel right. And every single time something has happened, my dad has always told me something. Like, he didn't want me to be with anybody I've been with pretty much up until, you know, not that long ago. But I still went. I was like, Dad, I'll be fine. It's it's nothing. We're just going for a drink. We're not doing anything, you know, out of the ordinary. So I remember he said he didn't have a car. So I pulled up and I texted him and I said, I'm outside. Um, You can come down now. And so he got in. He was like, hi. I was like, hi. Because like I said, I'm not a nervous person. I had already, you know, I was the first one to reach out. So it wasn't like I was scared. Um, I had known the area because my best friend at the time had lived in that area. So I kind of knew where I was. But I said, you know, like, where did you want to go? What did you want to do? And he was like, well, I was like, I don't really know what's over here. I only know a few of these bars, you know, that are along this, this street. And he's like, well, I know one. I'll take you to it. I was like, okay. So he kind of just, you know, guided me as he like verbally gave me the directions. And when, I, when we walked in, it was kind of like this dive bar. And it was really weird because I would have never thought that he would bring me to this kind of like bar. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, this is weird. And it's not a place that I would ever think someone would bring me on a date. So I was like, okay, strike one, (laughs) you know, like dating in your head. And so then we like walked back and I remember he kind of like knew people in there. So that made me kind of feel a little bit better after we walked in and then there was like a little area if you went just around the corner um there was a little area you could sit and I had seen people just sitting there and drinking and talking and so it seemed okay so he's like yeah this is so-and-so the bartender um he's the best bartender or whatever he's like well what do you want to drink and I was like I don't really want anything right now I kind of like to you know see like my scene and see what happens And so he got a drink, like a shot or something and drank it really fast. And I was like, wow, okay. (laughs) And he's like, come on. He's like, get your drink. So I remember, I think I said like a something iced tea or something. And he's like, okay. And so we went in the back, like a little round the corner. And then there was steps that like, went upstairs I guess there was an upstairs to the bar I never went up there he said I'm gonna go up there and see like if there's you know any more people up there or if it's any better up there than it is down here because there was just a couple people there was like a group at two tables and so we sat down and I drank and he said oh you're you're babysitting your drink you know how they say you're babysitting your drink if you're taking a lot of drink it but I'm not a really big drinker So sometimes when they put a lot of alcohol in there, it's kind of like, you know, like how you can just it has that whole alcohol taste. So I was like, okay. so I kind of just finished that off and he's like, well, I'm going to go get another drink. Do you want another one? And I was just like, yeah, that's fine. I mean, I knew that I could at least drink two drinks. I knew that I would be okay to drive home like if we sat there. And so he got me a drink. And I remember we were just sitting there and talking. And this girl, she came over to our table and she just started randomly talking to us. And then all of a sudden I was just sitting there at the table and I just felt like this all of a sudden, like, oh my gosh, like, wow, I'm feeling like really, like when you're really, really drunk and you just start to feel like everything's spinning. And I remember I told him, I was like, I feel really, really drunk right now. And I said, that's really weird because this is only my second drink and it's not a very big cup. And he's like, oh, he's like, you, you're just a lightweight, you know, you can't drink or whatever. And I was like, no, it's just really weird. And he's like, come on. He's like, drink or drink or whatever. And so I just drank it. And he's like, well, you're ready to go. I was like, well, I'm not even done with this drink. And you already paid for this drink. He's like, well, when we leave, put the cup in your coat. And I'll like distract the doorman so that he doesn't see that you have the cup in your coat. So I was like, okay I'm like I'm stealing the cup though he was like it's fine he was like people do it all the time I was like okay and so as we leave I remember he drove because there was no way I was going to be able to drive at that point I was like really like okay this is really weird he kept saying how hungry he was so we stopped at a gas station that made food kind of like a gecko or something that's out now. And he got his food. And I remember we got back to his apartment and at his apartment, there was a bunch of steps. And I thought, oh my gosh, in these heels, all these steps. So apparently this whole time from the bottom of the steps, when we opened the door, he started with his cell phone recording me as we walk up the steps. So we walk up the steps, we go into his apartment, he goes in his kitchen, he starts like kind of fumbling around with his stuff. He starts eating. And I was sitting on the couch. And I remember saying, okay, I'm really, really drunk. Like, I feel really sick. I feel like I'm going to be sick. And he's like, do you think you're going to throw up? He's like, here, here, take a bag. And I said, I don't know. Like, I just put my head down. And after that, I don't remember anything. I don't remember ever walking into the bedroom. I don't remember anything. The only thing that I remember was waking up the next day. I just left. I mean, I kind of just was like, bye, you know, because I wasn't really interested. Like the bar wasn't really my scene. It was kind of just like a random night. And I was just like, okay, this isn't for me. So I remember at work that whole week, I kept telling them the whole week, oh my gosh, I've never felt hungover for like a week. Every single day that week, I kept saying, I still don't feel right. Monday came, Tuesday came that whole week. I just felt off. So a few months later, I'm at work and I get this message in Facebook messenger. And it's one of my friends. um, And she said, do you know a guy, you know, you know, and she pretty much described him. I was like, yeah, I was like, we went on a date. I was like, but it's nothing serious. She was like, well, call me after work because I have to tell you something and it's really important. And I was like, well, no. I was like, you tell me now because I'm not going to be able to get through the rest of the day at work. Like, I need to know. And she's like, well, um, there's this video and it starts of you walking up these steps. And basically, he rapes you and you can tell that you're very, very, like, you know, inebriated. I guess you could tell that I was just kind of like this, like really just kind of out of it. And I guess he was just like yelling all these, you know, like you dumb whore or something like that. Just all these like mean things. I have no idea to this day what happened, what was said. I've never seen the video. Um, I wasn't thinking when she told me because I was just so like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe this is happening. At that point, I already had two daughters. I'm like, this is not happening. Like, this is a video of me. He's doing things to me sexually. Like, I have no idea what even happened. And I instantly was like, okay, delete it right now. And she deleted it. And I thought that was the right thing to do. I just thought that it was the right thing to do at the time because- I was just like, okay, well, the source of it is like already deleted. So the only other person who would share it would be him. And so I, I called my mom and she's like, what? She's like, you need to make an appointment. You need to go to the doctors. You need to get checked luckily. And, you know, thank God I didn't have anything. I didn't have like any STDs or anything bad or anything like that. But I remember thinking, why would you do that? Like it I approached you. Like, if there was anything that was going to happen, I would let it happen if it was going to happen. If I felt like that, like, you don't need to put something in someone's drink. And I remember just feeling really, really just like gross and disgusting and thinking to myself, what did he do to me? Like, I have no idea. And in my head, sometimes I go back and forth and I think, like, do I want to see the video? Even that day, I just kept thinking, like, do I want to see the video? don't I want to see the video? Do I want to message him? Do I want to be like, show me the video now? You know, because I didn't know if it was online. And I remember I went back and I told one of my really good friends at work and she was like, don't you remember that whole week? She was like, you kept saying, why do I feel like I'm so just hung over? She was like, that was in your system that whole time. And I just look back and just think like there was so many red flags that I could have, you know, avoided. But I didn't think that someone just like the first time. I never thought that anybody would do something like that to me Um, in that type of way. I didn't press any charges. I just went and got checked. Um, I told my parents and um, I didn't know if I could press charges because... I had told my friend to delete the video and I didn't have anything and I didn't know how to get it. So I felt as if, if I went to the police, I didn't have any like evidence to prove that it was like, he did this to me. It was almost like in my head, I was thinking about like the shows you watch and it's like, oh, well that's hearsay. She just told you that this happened. Like, you don't really know but then um the person he had sent it to was my ex that was in prison for a lot of you know times and um he had seen it cuz he had sent it to his snapchat as well and he was really upset and he was like Alicia he did like a really lot of like bad things to you and he was like crying and he's not the type of person to cry like he kind of was like that really um i don't know like like the strong man, he always has to be strong. And I remember him just like breaking down and being like, I've never seen anyone do stuff like that to a person. And at that point, I'm just like, okay, so now what do I do? You know, he's seen it. And I was like, well, did you like save it on your Snapchat? He's like, no, I was just going through it. Like, what is this? And why did someone send it to me? And so I'm like, well, great. There's that because once you watch it on Snapchat, it's gone. I'm like, so that was that I didn't do anything about it. I've just, you know, I've just went back and forth a lot of times in my head, just thinking, you know, should I have said something? Should I have taken him to the police? But at the same time, I've told my story, told my story to a lot of people. And so he knows he knows what he did, you know. And unfortunately, you know, he has to go before God and tell God why he did what he did. I, you know, I don't know why he did what he did. I, you know, I I can't speak for him. And um, yeah, I, I just kind of left the police out of it. I said my piece a, a few times and I've just left it alone. Um, but that was it. And the last one... <laughs> last one, last one, um, two years ago, my boyfriend at the time, um, we were very close. We ended up having to move from our home and being that my dad is a pastor, he could not come to my, my parents' house because we were not married. Um, we had had a baby. Um, my, my littlest daughter was his daughter. She's now four. um, we always he always called every night. Every night he would, you know, um messenger chat my phone and we would, you know, let him see her on the video. And I remember he just didn't do it a couple nights. And I'm like, what is going on with him? But there was some times where he wouldn't message me because he had like a back injury. So he he said that, you know, like if he was in a lot of pain, he just didn't like to you know, take out his frustration of being in pain on other people. So he would just kind of like, you know, stay to himself, which I understood and I knew. Um, But this was, this was more than like a few days. This was like five days. We got to day five and I'm like, okay, this is a little much. Like he never goes this long without talking to my daughter. Like my daughter was his everything. So I woke up that morning. I messaged him one last time. I'm like, what is going on? What are you doing? No response for like an hour. I said to my mom, let's go. We're going over there. This is not, this is not normal. He does, he doesn't ever just not call. So we drove over there. We get to his apartment building. His car's there, you know. So I'm like, okay. So I go. Around to the back of the apartment building, and I'm knocking on the window. And I'm like, Come on, come on. I'm like, where are you at? What are you doing? Like, wake up. Cause there's sometimes where he was in like a deep sleep and you had to really yell to wake him up. I remember it happened when we were in the hospital when I had the baby. I was like, Wake up. I was like, Oh my gosh, you scared me. I was like, You were not waking up. I was like, You were in like a deep sleep. So I just figured that I figured he was sleeping. In there. So I was banging on the doors. And I remember there was like a little door on the side of the building that sometimes would just be like left, like cracked open. So I was like, oh, please, God, please, God, please, God, let that be like cracked. Not today. That day it was shut. It was locked. And I remember a little bit prior to that, they were cutting down on that front on the front door being like left open because I guess people that didn't live there were going in and out. So of course, door wasn't cracked open in the front. So oddly, some guy comes up the steps. He looked like he was like a painter or something. And I was like, and I just went in there and I instantly stopped. And I remember looking down the steps because you had to go down the steps through a door and he was right to the right. And I remember I thought, I don't know what stopped me. I mean, maybe it was God. I don't know. But I stopped and I turned and I looked at the guy and I said, can I go in here? I'm like, my boyfriend's down there and I haven't heard from him in days. I'm like, it's not like him. It's really weird. And he's like, well, do you live here? I was like, no, like, you know, he's my boyfriend, but we don't live together right now. You know, I didn't get into the whole story with him because he was just some random guy. And he's like, well, you know what? go, just go right outside the door. I'll go down and I'll look because I just figured, you know, maybe he, maybe he had left his door unlocked. And something about his face when he walked up the steps and I don't know if he looked in there and saw him or if he really just didn't hear him, like he knocked and he just didn't hear. He was like, I'm sorry. He was like, there was like nothing. He was like, but I have the number to like the apartment manager. So I can call her for you. He was like, but you might want to call the police. He was like, since you can't get a hold of them. So I called the police. I remember I was crying, crying, crying. And my mom's like, Alicia, you don't know what's going to happen. He could just be sleeping. I'm like, no, I'm like, this is not like him. I'm like, even like the window, he would <laughs> he would go through his window sometimes because that was like right to his um, living room. And he would like take his groceries, like just like that, right like that. And I remember he made me laugh when he did that. And I was like, his windows not cracked, like nothing. And so then the police got there and they're like, well, what's going on? You know, what what's the issue? Because I was hysterical. Like our daughter was in the car. My mom came with me and I was like, my boyfriend's in there. I'm like, he hasn't, he hasn't, you know, called me. And I remember we both worked at the same place and I had messaged my friend and I'm like, has he been online for work at all? Because I was off and I didn't even think to look. And she's like, she got back to me, but it was like, it took her a bit. And she's like, I'm sorry. He hasn't been online in like six days. I'm like, what? six days. And that's when I was just like, this is not good. Like I just knew like you just have like that gut feeling like something's not right. This isn't normal. The police came and there was a woman officer that stayed outside with me. And then there was another woman officer and a man that went downstairs to his apartment. And I remember the woman just came back upstairs and she walked over to the right. And I remember whatever the officer and I were saying, I totally shut off because I watched her walk that way. And instantly I knew, and I was like, what's wrong? Like, what's going on? And she was like, I'm sorry to tell you, but he's, you know, he's passed away. And I just like screamed, like my legs just felt, like numb. And I was just like, no, he's not. I'm like, he's not. I'm like, he's just sleeping. I'm like, he's he's tired. And she was like, no, honey, I'm sorry. She's like, I'm sorry to tell you, but you know, he, he's passed away. And I'm like, well, I need to go in there. I'm like, I need to give him a hug. Like, I need to say goodbye. And she's like, you can't do that. And I'm like, well, why? Like, let me say goodbye to him. And she said that um, he had been in there for a few days. So I guess decomposition had already started on his body. And she's like, honey, you don't want your last memory of him to be that, you know? And I was like, I don't care. I don't care. Like, I just want to give him a hug. Like, I want to say goodbye. I just, I just need to like, say one last thing. And she's like, honey, I can't let you go in there and see that. And I think a lot of things that are in my mind I go back and forth with like why did this person do that or why did that person do that or why did I stop at that top of the steps why didn't I just keep going and just you know I don't know I don't know like the I I would have taken, I feel like I would have taken that chance. I would have, I would have went through the door and I wouldn't have cared. You know, I feel like that inside, but I don't know. Maybe it was God just stopping me like, honey, don't go down there, you know? And that's the worst part is because you don't get to say goodbye. You know, I finally got to a point where I felt like I was, I was um I was safe and I was loved by someone and I just feel like it was like ripped like just ripped from me and I'm just like god I don't understand like I don't know what I did in life to you know deserve these things over and over and I'm just like how does someone continue to get through it over and over Like, how many times does someone have to go through something to find either, like, love or something? And I just thought, you know, why did you take it away? And, you know, my dad, he's always told me and taught me to pray. And I just feel like, you know he was with me for a season and he taught me to love and be happy. And we, you know, we traveled and before he passed away, you know, he told me, you know, like the first time he, he knew he loved me and like things like that. And I think about those things cause it was like happy and it was Valentine's day right before he passed away. Um, but in my mind, I just constantly think, You know, like, is this, is it done? Is it done? And I always think, okay, like, just keep yourself braced because you don't know what's going to happen next. Like, you don't know if things are just going to keep happening and happening and happening. But, you know, I've continued to pray and I've continued to you know, talk to God, and I feel like that's been what has helped the most, just praying for peace, because without that, I, I can honestly say to you today, I don't think I'd be here.
0: Well, Alicia, thank you so much for sharing your adversity, and then uh, let's save that topic for the second question, um, for um, Tool's part. But um, I just want to thank you for being here, and then uh, sharing your adversity with our audience. And then um, every degrees of adversities are absolutely different, and you know you can't compare one to another. But I just want to let you know that I've had hundreds, one hundred people. You're one hundred one. Um, um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so everybody had shared so much of pain and adversity and I just want to let you know that you're not alone and um I'm very very sorry of everything that happened to you you were kept in hostage and you're raped um drugged and you, you got put on some like a chemical in your drink and then yeah. videotaped, and then um your boyfriend passed away and it just like seems like it's like happening. And I'm very sorry that happened. I just wanna share with you Mm -hmm. and our audience that it felt I was kept hostage in a way that between age eight to 13, my father and two uncles um, physically sexually, emotionally, verbally really abused me. And then because I was so young in Japan that I had no idea what it was and they called it the tickling game or different things. And, you know, there was no self-advocacy, there's no mental health, there's no PTSD, whatever. So yeah. my story in my book, A Gift from My um, it depicts all the things that I went through. But the major thing was, that when I was 15, when I told my mom, she didn't believe me, so I tried to kill myself. Mm-hmm. And I became homeless when I was 18 because she kicked me out. So, you know, it's in an education way of what is your right. So even if you are raped, or uh, if you are sexually abused, if there's nobody who understands the magnitude of crime, and if you don't have any support or language around it, you are completely... Um, blame shifted and then called crazy. Yeah, that, That's why I tried to kill myself when I was 15. So, you know, I'm very sorry that happened but at the same time, I'm very grateful for your mom um, who are very supportive, your sister who's supportive and then friends who were supportive of you and even your ex-boyfriend who um, got this video and was crying for you. And you know, there is wrong and there's right, and there's nothing in between, there's no great. Yeah. Then, when you are kept in domestic violence situation, like you have this like sympathy and love, and you get mixed because right. there's a stage, and there's um, kind of like a grooming stage, and then sweet stage, and the violent stage, and then it circles, and then that, right? Um, interval gets shorter and shorter and then you start to feel confused and you start to get brainwashed and a lot of domestic violence survivor the statistic shows that it takes eight to nine times attempts to leave the relationship so i just want yeah. to bring that out to you and into to our audience that domestic violence is such an intricate issue because it's not just yes. getting beaten up it's more of brainwash and how can you get out of the stage that you are in and then like be the objective. No, I have my right, human right, and nobody can violate me. Nobody can come into my space. And then you just don't have that, especially after you're having, you know, intercourse and then intimacy um relationship with somebody. So you know, I just want to bring that up to you and then thank you for being so brave and Um, courageous to talk about this
1: well thank you for letting me talk about it and you know making it you know Mm -hmm. known there's so many people that I don't think share it and they feel like you said they're alone and they feel like they're alone in that situation and sometimes when you hear I don't want to say that you're happy that they have went through that but it's almost like okay I'm not the only one and you know there's someone else who can relate to what I'm feeling inside.
0: Absolutely. So Alicia, let's move on to our second question, which is the tools that you use to overcome these obstacles. This is my absolute favorite part of the podcast because a lot of guests who went through extreme adversities like yourselves, uh, yourself, that they share the tools that are very unique and strong and tangible. So... Um, What are the best tools that you can share with our audience that worked for you to overcome these adversities?
1: Um, I have to say that going to see a psychiatrist and um, seeing a therapist was a big, huge help for me i I first want to say that because. I just feel like there's such a stigma to people going to see a psychiatrist or getting help for mental health. Um, You're automatically put in this category as you're crazy or, you know, she's on meds, she's this or she's that. And it's not that, you know, I, I, I still deal with, you know, things from the first you know, instance of domestic violence when I feel like I'm completely over it, you know? Her dad and I, we get along perfectly fine. We co-parent, she's older, she's gonna be 18, you know? And it's been a long road of being like a guinea pig almost. You go through this cycle of like medications, like the medications work, then they stop. Then they put you on something else, works for a little bit, and then it stops. But I think being able to do things like this and, you know, being able to tell your story, you know, talking about it and just really opening up about how you feel has helped a lot. And I also feel like my daughters, you know, I've never really been a parent to, like, shield my kids from things. Like, I want them to know that these things happen and, you know, I can say that all of, you know, the two instances that happened, yes, that man is to blame. But at the same time, I did make decisions as well that still put me in that predicament. I still, in a sense, put myself there. So I have to take some a little bit of responsibility for maybe being naive, like that the domestic violence was going to stop. Or maybe those red flags that I saw in the beginning, I kind of just brushed away because I wanted to be on a date. I just wanted to like get out. And those are the things that I want my kids to look at and be like, okay, mommy went through this. Like, we don't want to go through this. We want to, you know, live a good life and not, have all these things come up. And I think another thing has just been God, you know, my dad has been through a lot in his life and, you know, he's taught me that, you know, at the end of the day, no one is greater than God, you know, he, he can heal you. He can, you know, help you when you're sad you know, you just have to really just lean on him and let him, you know, help you. Like, you know, my biggest thing is I don't like nighttime. I, my, I still deal with a lot of things at night. I have a lot of trouble going to sleep because things come about in my dreams. And, you know, the biggest thing that I pray for is peace. Like just peace. Just let me peacefully sleep. Um, You know, I, I, just pray to god to help me just make better decisions in general you know i am a mom i do i i have three daughters you know and i feel that you know one day i won't have to be on medication because i know that i've i've done it before when i got pregnant with my second daughter i took myself off everything I remember I was like this is not going to affect my baby. So I did it and I was off for 2 years. And then you know the incident happened with that guy and it just was it just really pushed me over that edge of being able to really um I would say be able to keep myself focused. My brain had too much at that point to try to manage by myself, I should say. I then needed to go back and it was like, I had to start all over. I just start all over with medication, start all over with a doctor, start all over with a therapist. Cause it's like, you just got over that big thing. And then it's like, in the blink of an eye, you're back to square one, trying to like compete with this thing in your brain. And then, you know, those other things start coming up again. And it's like, what is going on? You know, it's like that snowball effect. It just keeps going and going and going. Like my, that's how my brain feels. So I just think that those are the things just, and like you said, having a very supportive family. My family has helped me tremendously, you know, with my kids because, you know, if they weren't there, I I don't know what would have happened to me or my children um, in times when it was really, really bad. So I think that those-
0: Yes, thank you so much for sharing that. So um, I just want to share it with you and then our audience, domestic violence, um, these agents, agency, I just modeled um, last year for, A fundraiser it's love life now foundation it's uh the website is LoveLifenow.org and i was one of the survivor model there are five females five uh male who went through the domestic violence we all modeled for the fundraiser we raised seven thousand five hundred dollars for um other victims to be protected so there are resources out there and another thing that i want to share is Going to see a therapist or you know um, really blocking people, leaning on people who are supportive, those are so important. In my book, I have a letter, a message part, which is one is for the victim, one is for the perpetrator, and one is for the family and the victim around uh, how many friends around the victim, and then there's another one. That I just purchased on Amazon. It's called Directive Behavioral Therapy DBT Deck. It's like the cards that kind of one tangible way to um, bring your emotional intelligence and then combat the mental health. Oh. Well, it's very unique way, uh, but each card has some kind of wisdom or some kind of directive thing that you can do. So I just want to encourage you to live your life disengage, And most of the time, the saddest part of it is as myself, a victim of child sex abuse, domestic violence, I felt I was silenced for a really long time. And I felt I never had a voice. I felt I never had a language to it. So I'm very proud that I published the book and then doing the podcast and very Excited that to create this um, platform, like you said, there's so much stigma about it, but then you're so right to educate your children. And I do the same because the red flags and things that you could maybe prevent in the future. And then um, another thing is how do you disengage these incidents that can haunt you for a long time? Right. So Elizabeth Smart, who was abducted for nine months, um, said on a TED Talk, her mom said, "To the best punishment that you can give to the perpetrator is to not give your second of life to them, keep smiling, keep living your life, because your, your nine months is already taken. Right. That was really powerful to me. It's easier said than done. But I just want to thank you so much for sharing such a painful, like, I, I felt your pain, a painful story. And then I'm very sorry again that happened to you.
1: Thank you. I, I, you know, this is amazing to be able to just come on here and just, you know, feel. Sometimes you don't feel when you're like in your head and or even on medication you don't feel you're you're just you're blocking it you're not paying attention but sometimes you need to feel that you need to be able to go through those emotions and deal with that pain like i'm getting goosebumps right now because not a lot of people make it aware and I want you to know that it's very appreciated that you're making it aware of people's adversities that they've been through and just letting them be heard because sometimes you don't get to be heard. Like you said, you were a child. I don't, I, I, my middle daughter, I don't think she knows how to express herself and she's eight. So being a child, I couldn't even imagine trying to think about in your head to be able to speak on what was going on, you know. So I pray that, you know, you just go super far because this is amazing. And, you know, just know that if there's someone watching today, I hope that they are inspired by you because it's a great, great thing. And there's people like me that need it.
0: Oh, you are being brave, and thank you so much for being a part of it. Just want to quickly share with you my guest number one, episode number one. She survived through two active shooting situations, okay. one in the middle school, one is at her workplace. She appreciated me for creating this space to talk about active gun shooting surviving experience because they said at some point they stopped talking about it. And then she didn't know where to talk, and then where to have a safe place to talk and share what she wanted to share. And it's very important. So, like you said, the domestic violence issue is very hard to talk about, and there's so much so much stigma about it. But think about it: the people who hurt you, they should be ashamed. They should be silenced, not us, right. not me, not you. We can't speak about it because they're wrong. Right. And they should be ashamed. They should be silenced, muted. And they should never do it again. Right. Shame on them. Brave on us. So keep sharing your story. And what is uh, my last question is, what's the gift that came from your adversity?
1: I think the gift that came from my adversity was just being strong and being able to look at adversity right in the eyes and just continue to say I'm still here you know this these things happened to me when I was what like 19 20 years old I'm 37 years old today talking to you and I'm still here I'm raising three beautiful girls. I've had love. I've had like laughter. And I think my gift is just being a powerful woman. I'm able to get through different situations that I never would have thought in a million years would have even happened to me or I would have to even get through. Because where I live, that's not even something that happens. These things just don't happen where I live or to people that live where I live. It's always that thought in the back of your mind, like, wow, these things really happen. You know, in your head, you think, this only happens on like like Lifetime movie network. You know, and, and I remember when I was little, my mom, she always loved and she watched those things. And I used to think to myself, You know, why do people do those things to people or how did they, you know, how do they feel? And now I know, and it's, it's empowering to know that you can still live your life and smile and like you be a mom and we're raising beautiful people in this world that are going to continue on with our stories and continue to face adversity just head on.
0: Thank you so much. Before you go, I just want to share my epigraph, which is the first part of my book, uh, with you and the audience. And then this is my original epigraph: "The sooner you can find the courage to accept your adversity, the sooner you can pave a positive path in your precious life."
1: Beautiful. I I agree. I hundred percent agree. I think you're doing something truly amazing. Um, by letting people, like you said, all over the world, you've gotten people all over the world. There's not many people that can say that. And you're letting it be known that these things happen and we all need to be aware. You know, I, I, I look at different things and I just know that I'm not alone. I know that different things happen at different times in people's lives, but we're all survivors no matter when it happened, no matter what happened to us, we're all survivors. And we're giving the best that we can to our perpetrators by not stopping. We're not stopping in our lives. We're continuing to live. And I want to thank you for letting all of us from all over the world tell our stories and continue to live because I've there's been times where I didn't think that I was going to continue to live. I've had a lot of thoughts of just not wanting to be here, but it's podcasts like yours, books like yours that help just keep me going every single day knowing that you know what i have a greater purpose and it's i'm here for something so even though those things keep happening there's a purpose and i'm here for a reason and i have three girls to show exactly what i was here for so thank you for being another fellow mom showing your kids exactly why you're here because your book is beautiful and so are you
0: well thank you very much alicia and then we a single mom as well. So let's keep going and then keep making a positive change in the
1: world. Yes. Well, Alright. Thank, thank you so again. much.
0: Yes. And thank you to our audience. We have more guests coming up. So uh, take a listen for a Give Month podcast. Thank you again.
1: Thank you.